This is Season 5, Episode 10 on Recovery and Resilience with Maylai Swan. Maylai, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for the invitation, May. Mm, just um, really looking forward to seeing where we might go together, where we might journey to. But I'm curious, uh, you asked me just a moment ago, you know, where are you? What's going on? And and I shared a little bit about the season I'm in and the cycle and the energy of the atmosphere outside my window. But I'm curious, where are you and how are you today? Yeah, I'm on the lands of the Bundjalung Nation in the north, northeast New South Wales, which has been my home for the last couple of years, and sitting in my office looking out my window, beautiful greenery. Um, and also it feels pretty autumnal today here as well. We can definitely feel the season turning. Just started to light a fire in the evening and feeling the quality of the air change, which is quite sweet. Um, a little break from the, the heavy rains that we've had for the many months. So it's, it's just, there's a softness here today. Mm. And I wonder if that, is that in contrast to your inner experience or is it mirroring it today? It's mirroring it. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely influencing it as well. I've been out and about in nature a little today and sitting on my deck and yeah feeling feeling the softness but also feeling feeling some aliveness and excitement as well mm, I love that I love the contrast I love the not the contrast I love the relationship when you can have that kind of soft settledness and then this little kind of peak of arousal of interest of curiosity of play excitement anticipation like I think that blended state is so delicious like it's one of my favorite ways to be in the world you know this so I I love you shared that um and I'm curious I kind of want to start there with the rains that you mentioned um and see where we might go but I'm wondering as you orient outwardly um is there a sense of safety there after all the rains and how are you harnessing that or accessing it or expressing that at the moment? Yeah, there is for me mm. now. <laughs> <laughs> I recognise I say that with some hesitation because, I mean, it's been a couple of months already. I think it's been almost exactly two months since the first really major flood came through and it's, you know, even we were impacted at my home. Fortunately, it didn't come in the house, but it came in the garage and um, impacted my office and the land. And I've noticed here that it's it's taken some time, like things that I've often found resourcing or just even orienting around and looking around has actually been a bit dysregulating because it's really been associated with, you know, that, that time of, of crisis and what's been actually huge destruction across the region. So, um, yeah, so it's taken some time and just starting to feel settled again now. I did have a little trip down to Melbourne for my mum's 70th recently and a friend's wedding where community, you know, came together up here and I've noticed that some of those, you know, just a little breakaway and coming together in community has felt really restorative. I love that because I think so often we think the work of recovery or of regulation or finding safety after trauma is about... um, kind of sitting on our own and going inward, you know. And what I'm hearing is, and I'm curious whether that's been mirrored across the community, is that there is, yeah, these elements of co-regulation, of changing what we're orienting to, changing our outlook and environment, which are equally important. And I'm curious, like, what's been your process to process and metabolise and also to 
find that safety that you can act as that co-regulation to others? Like what's been your process? How have you been moving through the world since that rapture? Yeah, I guess, I mean, it's my first experience of a natural disaster and I think it's been much bigger than we all could have anticipated and I'm sure, you know, in the felt sense of being here and watching what's unfolded and how long the recovery is going to take, um, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger than what we can imagine when we see something on the news. And what has been beautiful and remarkable has been seeing the strength of community and community spirit and dedication. And and I know that so many people have shared that that's been a big part of their experience, that even a lot of people who were really flood impacted jumped in to volunteer and support each other and others in the community. And that's been a big part of my process as well. And it, it was just fortunate I actually was taking a little break, sort of cutting back on my regular work and giving myself time to dream the next chapter and the floods happened. So I had space and I had, you know, some connections with in particular the Indigenous community down in Lismore. So I stepped in to help out down there because it was hugely impacted. It's about an hour away from where I live. So a big part of... Uh, I guess my journey with the floods, but also really taking stock of what it is, what the experience is and the power of community in that as well has been to get engaged. And I know so many people have spoken about that, being able to be proactive. There's a sense of empowerment and a sense of connection and that sense of community that's hugely important in the recovery. And it's almost as if as you're talking, it's like the magnitude of what the community has experienced almost acts as a impetus to shake us free of the responsibilities or the... Uh, yeah, like it literally breaks down the walls, doesn't it? Like the flood literally <laughs> floods the walls down and, and we have there's there's no other place, I think, in, in times like that to go but toward each other. And I think I wonder what medicine the flood has gifted you without bypassing the trauma and the loss of which I imagine is huge for so many families and members of the community but how have you been journeying with the flood in and of itself and and your relationship with the earth through that experience it's been so interesting and there's a huge myriad of ways to look at the experience of it and you know some of it is in the power of nature and just how much I mean, in a way, you know, major floods and major natural events have always happened. Um, there's, you know, all of the debates at the moment around climate change or geoengineering or even La Nina, you know, that this is the time that we're in. And, but I think it has, it shifts that relationship with nature in many ways and it shifts the relationship with community some in good ways. I think it's really illuminated uh, the failure of our systems in many ways or just the, the red tape and the slowness, um, which is why community has stepped in in such a, a big way and it's really driven both the crisis response and also the recovery response. So, and I know in a way, I feel like I'm kind of sidestepping your question in a way, but I think it's partly because there are, there are the, the, there's the beauty that's come out of it and recognising the strength of community and in a way we really need to lean into that. But I'm aware from the work I've been doing down in Lismore, just the magnitude uh, of 
of the impact and how severe and how long that recovery is going to be. So I kind of sit in this really interesting middle place right now. You know, hold on, it's, it's the paradox of life, you know, holding both of those there and we need to focus on connection and the good that's come out of it but not at the expense of, of the very real and severe challenges that so many people are still facing. Mm. Mm. And I love that um, sidestep because what I was going to ask next was just really exploring around, yeah, what what is the flood illuminated in terms of their systemic, existing systemic structural inequality for starters and then, as you said, indicating just the slowness of bureaucracies in responding uh, to these community events Um and then I'm thinking also on the individual level, at least I've seen a lot of crisis and trauma exacerbating in a disembodied culture conflict between yeah. individuals. So I think what you were talking about in the paradox is also just part of um, our nervous system and part of our collective healing process is to lean between the grief and the rage and the fire and the gratitude and the connection, you know, like I think that that's a natural pendulation that would happen as we find homeostasis again after an enormous trauma like this. So I'm curious, like I want to hear more about that. I want to hear more about what it's illuminated um, and how that feeds into, I guess, some of your existing work and ideas around embodiment and structural oppression and yeah social justice yeah oh, these are big questions I love it uh, I mean I was as you were sort of sharing and, and posing those questions I was thinking wow it's so interesting because in many ways I can speak about two different flood experiences in the same region you know and even recognizing there when we look at structural inequality the area that I live in, which is the pocket, which is a little bit north of Byron, so the Mullumbimby region, the Byron region, where there is a lot more wealth. I mean, you know, people were still really severely impacted, <clears throat> but there's a lot of community resources and a lot of community strength and resilience. And people have still been very traumatised, but it's been very different from what I've seen and been experiencing down in Lismore where the demographic is very different. Um, so on the one hand, you know, it's very apparent just there and then also there's the layers into, you know, some of the Indigenous communities and experiences there that the communities are very, very badly hit as well outside of Lismore sort of south and, and down past Ballina. So... I was just kind of was like, where do I start? And I think maybe to speak a little bit to what's been happening down in Lismore and to give it a bit of context of how I, I mentioned you know, some of the relationships that I had down there, but um, one of the flood responses was from the Koori Mail, which is the local Indigenous newspaper that runs out of Lismore, and they set up uh, you know, supplies and donations and flood coordination response. Of, you know, lots of volunteers came in and they were sending people out to clean homes and do repairs and deliver supplies and, you know, sending helicopters out to communities that were cut off still during the floods. Um, so that was a, a main hub there. And uh, a friend of mine was one of the the key volunteer coordinators. And I was down there, you know, cleaning houses and doing different things around there and, and they recognised that there was the need for some more mental health support, even just to have some people on the ground at Mail when community members came in or even for the volunteers. And as I mentioned, many of the volunteers were flood impacted themselves. So there was a whole you know, crew of people, mental health practitioners who responded to the call, but there wasn't 
I really anyone to coordinate at that point. And so you know, that's been some of my background is in project and organisational management. So I just stepped in to help out really with that and we ended up you know, putting this amazing team together, all volunteers um, and from across the region around you know, Lismore but beyond as well to provide some mental health support on the ground and also to do some outreach because many people without uh, vehicles and, and you know, couldn't, didn't really have the capacity to, to get places and do things. So that's what's been happening at, at Koori Mail. And then through another connection, this amazing Indigenous trauma healing organisation, We Are Lee, that I've been partnering with, um, Carly Atkinson, the CEO, put the call out to bring some practitioners and, and therapists together to lead a, a wellbeing response. And so there's been another project there that I've been part of, the Northern Rivers Community Healing Hub, which is primarily Indigenous-led uh, very community-focused and community-based and, again, all volunteers of therapists and body workers and, you know, RDs coming in and running weaving workshops and body-based workshops. So really that somatic, grounded in Indigenous practices and wisdom and community-focused. So there have been the two projects that I've been involved in down there and I know I'm going to do a few circles around your question um, so what happened in terms of you know a systems response in the beginning was that there was not a prediction of how big the floods were going to be and so the even the emergency services the SES they weren't prepared or equipped and even right in the midst of the floods, and we're talking floods that especially in Lismore, which is in a basin, and there's the river that runs through, the flood waters were 14.5 metres. So they were up to you know, people's second storeys to the roof. So it was quite um, an emergency for many people you know, on their roofs and, and being rescued by boats and many of those were community members who got their boats out to rescue people because the community, uh, sorry, the um, emergency services weren't on the ground fast enough and or didn't have the resources. So already there was the first huge community response there. And then I guess in many ways, you know, sort of council and government because of bureaucracy, they were just slower to respond, um, which in a way is still surprising because it's not the first time that there's, you know, there were floods, major floods here in 2017. So it's only five years ago and this one was really badly impacted. Um, but I guess there's one of the kind of the failures of the system that even with past experience, they're not able to mobilise fast enough um, and and, you know, with an appropriate response in many ways. They set up evacuation centres, but, you know, right from the get-go, from what I've heard, there wasn't really security. There wasn't, um, you know, much coordinated response. There wasn't really mental health support available. Um, so it was, it was pr pretty challenging, you know, and I guess the strength of community here of seeing the gaps of, Here's what's needed, and it's actually not being provided. Um, and and you know, in a way, to be fair to that, most of the services, community services in Lismore, were also really impacted by the floods, both in terms of offices and workforces, because many of the workers lost their homes and vehicles, and um, so that you know that kind of level of crisis and inability to mobilise and respond. So communities stepped in to fill those gaps and then those who were able you know, from Lismore and from around the whole region really stepped in to support. And I'm going to pause there and just, you know, I know I'm sort of touching on some of the pieces, but I'm happy to dive deeper into any of those elements. Mm. 
I was just, um, I was thinking a lot of things as you were speaking. Um, one is how like the system responds, I think, like in a way mirrors, mirrors our nervous system. <laughs> you know, there's, there's those actors that freeze and then there's those that, that flee, that are nowhere to be found. And then there's this community response, you know, social engagement response. And it's so, I just, I think it's um, just thinking about our systems and how they're mirrored on the internal realm. I, I think that lens is so helpful because I think what I find is um, it's almost like the greater the trauma that we experience, the more we're encouraged to minimise it just because culturally we find it really hard to be with that intensity. So to hear about your community responses around mental health and well-being, which was such, no doubt, such a huge gap when our existing mental health and well-being and health promotion kind of systems are, are failing so deeply right now already, you know, like that. that is such a balm, I think to both the situation but also to in a world where like we don't really allow ourselves to say that that thing was really enormous that we experienced and that there's despair and grief and rage and you know like I I really appreciate in this conversation you keep talking about the size and the magnitude because it's so easy for us watching on but also for those no doubt experiencing it to just have this idea of like getting on with it and you know soldiering on and and not having those places to fall apart and be held and listened to and acknowledged um so my mind went there but then in another breath it went to this place of and I think the two are related around regenerative leadership and I think one of the many arguments I've heard against a more democratic, um, nature-based, earth-based, uh, embodied way of leading is that, is that there's no time to do it that way. And in a crisis, I imagine that that's exacerbated. So I don't know, in all of that, I'm curious, like what has been your reflection around leadership in all of this and what have you seen and witnessed going on in that realm? Because... One of the, as the healing hub was set up and it was opened with a smoking ceremony from one of the uh, local, and over there it's Widjibal Weibel country, one of the elders there, Uncle Gilbert, and he shared some of, you know, the history of the Lismore region. Like I said, it's a basin. And he said, you know, when white people came, the... Indigenous people said, don't, don't create your town there. Like the name for Lismore in language, and I don't remember the name, but it translates as swampland. Hmm. Indigenous people always lived up in the hills because swampland floods. And that they were told at the time, just don't, don't build there. It's not safe. And, and of course, you know, as it often goes, White people don't listen to Indigenous people and they built there and it's just been flood after flood um, regularly. So in a way it it points that to me it's just such a clear example of what happens when we don't, when, when we're not in close relationship with place and with nature when we're not listening, when we're not paying attention and when we're not listening to people's, A, whose land it is, mm-hmm. that's been stolen from them. And, and even, you know, not just not listening to them but recognising that actually they were, they were being shared that knowledge. And that's, I think that's just so continuously perpetuated and mirrored and one of the things that really struck me was you know Uncle Gilbert saying too he's like we're not trying to tell you to leave we're actually interested in how we can heal together because we've got to accept the fact that we're all here now and but how do we do that please listen to us and 
in setting up the the healing hub. And like I said, I've been part of that and I don't want to speak out of my place. I've been supporting that initiative but also really, you know, recognising and honouring that it is Indigenous-led by Carly and some other local Indigenous people as well. And watching their response and the request of, you know, listen to us and watch our ways because our ways, they're based in connection with nature. They're based in real connection, fundamental human connection and listening. But really what people need in this time of crisis, yes, they need the support, like they need the practical support as the crisis response. And in that initial phase, of course, there's a huge amount of adrenaline in that survival response and just, you know, getting everything out of the houses and doing a basic clean to try to salvage what's salvageable. But really what is so deeply needed is that fundamental human connection, to have someone to tell the story when the time is right, to have some body work. And actually this has been one of the biggest um, recovery responses that I've seen be really effective is using body work to help with some of that nervous system regulation without having to go into story, without having to process so that there's some sense of regulation just to make it to the next step, to have a little bit of a clear mind to be able to process what's happening or fill out all of the paperwork for insurance and government grants and allowances and that sort of thing. So those fundamentals of well-being, working with the body, yarning circles, just being able to come together in a, you know, a, a held but an unstructured way just to be together and share stories or to weave and chat and doing things with our hands and connecting in these simple ways. They're the foundations of the therapeutic response really. Just get like such a deep wave of safety in my body when you share those tenants, you know, body work and yarning and weaving and sitting side by side. And um, and, it, and it makes sense to me that in the same breath you were talking about not learning, you know, and like this happened five years ago and where was the learning? And I think in a colonial capitalist society we can't learn because we never process anything because yeah. we're never sat with and presenced and yeah it just it just makes a lot of sense that uh, to me those elements of therapeutic healing that you're offering also hold the keys to like how we might rebuild differently you know so I'm curious about two things one is how you are you are on a break right waiting for life to being conversation with you about what was next and then this happened like on a personal level where are you now and how has this experience been woven into your life story and your work journey and your expression of leadership do you think yeah, uh, on a personal level, it's really interesting. And it's so funny because as you ask that question and I ponder it, I notice that I feel a real discomfort in answering it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's partly because, I mean, I was impacted by the floods, but I feel that it's so much about community. And so I know I'm just, and I'm naming it because I was just like, man, it's really interesting that I feel a real discomfort in talking about my personal experience and what I noticed, you know, there was a whole lot of uh, also body workers and therapists who volunteered their time and it was difficult to get community members in to a certain extent because everybody was kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I've been impacted but not as badly as other people. Mm -hmm. That minimising of the response is interesting. Um, so I guess, yeah, just in, in speaking about my personal experience, I'm really aware that I still sit in you know, the privileged handful in the world and um, 
Yeah, both in terms of, you know, even how I was impacted in flood, but just in my own social position as well and aware of the, the communities and the people that I've been working with. So I just want to preface that. Mm. Um, but yeah, no. Did you? Did you want to ask something? No, I was going to say I'm grateful you prefaced it. I love nothing more than someone saying, "Oh, this thing's here." Like, isn't that so fascinating? Because because that is like that is the truth of how we feel in these situations. And I also think that um, what I'm noticing. I don't know whether this is your experience, but I'll share from mine is that there's a lot of folks who have been working in these kind of spaces of social justice embodiment or kind of in a leadership role, and I'm saying that in air quotes because it's a lot of colonial stuff that comes with that word leadership. Um, and what I'm feeling internally is this sense of, of wanting to live it more, you know, so this idea of these skills that are being woven around how to be together mm-hmm. through this work, through nervous system work, through body work, through being able to hold conversation in circle. Like there, there are a set of skills to me that are both really ancient and not our own, but also looking skills that, that are enabling us to look forward into what might be possible. And I feel this just deep desire to teach a lot less and to facilitate less and to live it more and I think embody as an embodied leader that's always been my desire but it's almost like I just that what you've been talking about like digging pulling up your sleeves and having your hands like deep in the community Mm -hmm. um, alongside other people like maybe that is the what's next you know I don't know what do you think yeah, definitely. And it, it definitely was what struck me at the time. You know, I was like, oh, I was taking time for the what's next. And, and here it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I've anticipated that. And in a way, I mean, you know, with COVID, it's been so interesting because in the, the three years before that, I was traveling and teaching and traveling a lot and landed up here with COVID and it's a place that I've been visiting for 20 years but I hadn't lived here and I remember when I landed I felt in terms of my relationship to nature I felt very foreign I was like oh I don't know these trees and I don't know these bird calls and was just recognizing in a way what a stranger I am to these lands here and it's taken some time to build that relationship and then what's been so interesting with COVID and my work, you know, so being embodied is not being able to do it in person and moving my work online, mostly by request because it's not something I really wanted to do. And it's been an absolute blessing and a beautiful way of creating local community, I mean, sorry, global community. But what I have been feeling, I think this speaks to exactly what you're talking about, me. I was feeling an estrangement from working in my community where I live and I really noticed that and I'd been struggling with it but I was also so busy uh, that I didn't have a lot of capacity to really be engaged in the community where I live and I have been in some ways more through community gatherings and events not so much in a work sense here um, but also recognising that also where I live here, there's quite a, there's not a lot of people doing the specific work that I do, but there's a lot of yoga teachers and therapists and body-based practitioners. And I hadn't really felt the call to try to set up here in that way. But it has been a real interesting disconnect for me. And there were, you know, there's been some um people in the indigenous community here that I've been connecting with and looking at setting up projects with and um you know it's all been impacted by COVID but that has been a really big piece for me so that when when the floods happened and I started engaging 
with the community and supporting down in Lismore, there was a sense, personal sense for me of arriving. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I really feel that. I, um, I was thinking today about this, about, you know, because it's kind of this quiet autumn and you know how the, sound, the quality of sound travels differently in the autumn air because it's thinner, you hear more. And I was thinking about it today and I was thinking, well, if I, if I just live it, right, and I don't want to edit even like the way that I just said just, but if I live it, what characterises a life when so much of what we've conditioned being conditioned to believe is that it's about these huge peaks and these peak experiences and these, you know, like this kind of we're so used to this potent concoction of hormones traversing our bloodstream that this quieter like kind of living it and being in relationship, a relational orientation feels, it feels really different. I think it takes some getting used to, or I think maybe your nervous system, as it slows down to the pace of the earth, it becomes the more normal. And I was like, well, what characterizes a life, you know, lived in this way? And then it was just really simple. It was like, it's those moments of togetherness, of ritual, of marking the seasons, of having these conversations of, you know, like that's, that's how we distinguish time passing it's it's in our togetherness rather than in this individualist construct of um of you know these peak individual successes that we've been taught to chase after which are kind of inherently empty as we find out when we get there do you know what I mean like and I think when you talk about these projects these emergent projects and the relationships that are being woven through them to me, that's a life well lived is like we're doing interesting things, meaningful things with great people that are showing us a different way of being. I think that's beautiful, but I don't know how that feels for you when those words meet you. Yeah, oh, it's actually such a beautiful framing. Thank you for framing it in that way. And, it, I mean, for me, it's, it does come back to that simplicity and I know for many it seems boring, you know, and that's been the way of colonisation across the globe where Indigenous cultures have their way of living in harmony with the earth and in togetherness and in ceremony and in ritual and, you know, those from, you know, ancestral backgrounds from the colonialists, it, it was the same. That's how life was lived in connection with the earth and in togetherness and in marked by ritual and celebration and then the simplicity of life between that. And that's what we see lost through modernization as well. You know, the glitz and the glamour and the, the personal glory that, you know, that individual way of being in an experience in the world that you name it that that there's something exciting about it you know so we're addicted to the sympathetic and it does seem boring to slow down and to become more simple but ultimately it's what's so nourishing and what's so needed and really lets us be human Let's us be human is a beautiful phrase. Um, it's also, I think, like the zooming out, that worldview that it's our lifetime that's most meaningful, you know, in Indigenous wisdom. It's this unbroken connection to ancestry and to, uh, like, seeing ourselves beyond just our lifetime, seeing our relationships beyond in this moment in time. And that makes boring or simple, like kind of meaningful when you look at it across the lifetimes of like what do we pick up in this lifetime that is going to be carried forward and what do we put down and what do we choose not to engage with? And to see it as that continuation takes the pressure, I think, off our, us as individuals to, to be or prove any kind of certain thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, and just refocusing from individual achievement to 
community and connection and harmony and well-being. And, and I guess to circle back into the, the flood response that's, that's been really interesting and really frustrating <clears throat> is that there's a lot of money coming in. There's, you know, the government's actually put, invested quite a lot of money in the flood response and in, the, and in mental health support for the flood response. But a lot of it's sitting with services that are unable to really reach those most in need. It's kind of the ivory tower approach of, you know, let's put a table at the recovery centre and people can come and get the information from us that they need. But that's not actually what people need and it's only a fraction of people who are able to make it to the recovery centre and that so much of what people need is someone to hold their hand through the process. You know, when you're in a deep trauma response, you don't have the cognitive function to be able to fill out grants and application forms and navigate processes just to get $500 grant, for example, and or even how to get the people to come and help clean your house or tradies or inspectors because you're in the survival mode. So having information desks is not actually so helpful. And, you know, this is, and, and yet there's these amazing community responses and they're, they're volunteer-led, which in one way is absolutely beautiful. It's so humanising in the response, but they're not funded and they're not recognised necessarily as really valuable you know there's all of the red tape and I think this goes back to you know why don't we change it's the systems are so entrenched that movement is so slow yeah and so when we look at what recovery looks like and what even a regenerative recovery might look like the work is huge you know how do we actually shift the systems do we rebuild in this more or do we actually relocate Um, You know, how do we take care of appropriate housing and provide services that are actually reach the people in need and that are effective and that are humanising? Because so many of the people who came into Koori Mail, and of course especially uh, Indigenous community members, it was a place where they felt safe and where they felt that they could be human and just be in their own experience rather than you know, the ivory tower of community services or Centrelink or government bodies that are so official that you're not a human. Mm -hmm. Many people made that comment to us. It's just like, oh, I I feel welcome here. I feel like I can have a human response and that's really what I need right now. Mm. It's so resourcing this conversation. It so deeply touches into the the thing I'm probably most passionate about, which is like that the way we do help really matters, you know. And I think it's like half of my body is just raging because I know how dehumanizing and undervaluing those systems can make individuals feel, and how we just keep pumping money and trying to make change in the same way when there's these other ways of making change that are not valued and not funded. Um, And it makes me rage, but it also makes me, even your story about, you know, I had these relationships, so I was able to use those relationships, translate those relationships work together in those relationships to find a different expression of healing or well-being or whatever it is that you're in service to in this lifetime, you know. And I think not every project lives and breathes and sees the light of day. Some projects are about the relationships that we make as stepping stones to what's next. And I think that's a regenerative way of of working towards social change and social justice is that it is not positioning those helpers above those folks that are being helped and it's not uh 
labeling a certain person who's having a response on that given day because we all do it's not making it kind of mean anything it's about attunement is really what you're talking about it's like what do you need today and like I think about a world where our systems could do that and I think the world would look really different (laughs) yeah and seeing how quickly we can mobilize when it's needed like that's that's been a huge piece it's not that we lack the capacity to do it in a way it's that we lack the will yeah unless there's this you know and then seeing the sense of urgency and I guess one of my concerns you know and and some of the conversations I've been having with the primary health network and some of the service organizations who are experienced and tasked with disaster recovery is that they're saying this is really at least three to five years of recovery across the region, but especially in some of those places that have been the hardest hit and that were already marginalised communities where now, I mean, I know you, I just remembered you were touching on this before, but we are seeing, you know, those communities that were already marginalised and where there's been a lot of historical and ongoing trauma that's all escalating Mm. and it's escalating in a really serious way and so the response is not just the emergency flood response but it's actually going back and looking at well how did we get here what are the deeper needs what are the healing models that we need that are going to rehumanize and reconnect and where are the sources of of wisdom, where are the models that are working and that are not working? And how do we shift the gaze? You know, how do we shift the lens and shift the focus of support? And in that way, I'm also talking about funding and resources mm. to where it's ultimately most effective. And our model, you know, our, our clinical model of mental health support. In some ways, it's, you know, it's great and it's needed and it can be effective. But when there's this huge community disaster, it's the community response and, you know, as you named it, the togetherness that's the most important ingredient there. Mm. I feel like we're going to have a whole other conversation about the mental health system because <laughs> there's so much I want to say. You know, it's like a background in public health. I just so I was, I had this conversation this week of like, at what point are we going to be like, we can't keep designing systems to counteract the fact that the whole system we designed was is broken? <laughs> you know, like at what point are we going to... Anyway, um, but I am conscious of time and I really want to offer the space, I guess, as last moments of our time together, whether there's anything else that you really feel in your body needs to be said or acknowledged or, um, yeah, just anything else, I think, for folks that might be listening and they might have been impacted directly or those potentially who are listening to this and feeling as though maybe something they've been through hasn't been held in that attuned way i'm wondering if there's anything else you feel called to share before we wrap up i'm feeling into my body i guess the key piece is how how do we keep coming back to the simple core of our humanness And I think a big part of that is how do we listen and how do we make space for our experiences and where we can, and I say where we can because for everyone it's not possible, but where we can really lean into connection and cultivate connection. For me, it really starts with the earth. It starts with nature. It starts with those close to us. And again, that's not always simple, uh, but I guess, and I mean, it, it really leads into you know, this piece around you know, the work that you're doing and the work that I'm doing around regenerative culture. For those of us who, are, who feel the call, 
how do we actually start to not just respond to crises, but how do we start to create little pockets of human and humanizing connection and within the place that we live? And that that's something that can be so nourishing. You know, I think whether that's just a little community gathering once a month and coming together to sing or to dance or to share a meal and just have conversations and connect. That's the simplicity, I think, that becomes the foundation of well-being and also really learning and educating ourselves and others. And there's, you know, both in... Indigenous and earth-based practices and trauma-informed practices because there's such a wealth of knowledge and practice available to us that we don't have to do it in the dark and we can then translate that into the simple simple ways of living, bringing it to life. Mm. I'm so glad you brought this conversation, all the, all the divergent threads where we ventured to that you were able to bring it together. I'm so grateful for that <laughs> because on day three of my bleed, my brain is more divergent than um, cohesive. So I'm really glad you did. And, I'm, and as you say that, it like, yes, everything, all my body is like, yes, that's the essence. And, you know, for though like, for myself in particular today, when you have those moments of like, does, do these conversations matter? Do, does this matter? Does this work matter? Does, does the living it matter? Like it's very, it brings me back into my body and myself. So I'm really grateful for that and for your time today. Thank you so much. Oh, it's such a joy to be in conversation with you, Meg. <laughs>